Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. This morning, we're wrapping up the series um, in the first half of the book of Luke. And we have been going through this with the idea of how can we change the way people view the church? And the best way to do that is to take an in-depth look. And we've kind of been immersing ourselves in the life and ministry of Jesus because he's the one who changed everything. And um, his life-transforming power is at work in his church. And as we are transformed, as we become more and more like him, as we begin to understand more and more his ways and his teaching and his life, we become more and more like him. And then we become a part of his life-changing work in this world. And so that's what we've been doing for the last 13 weeks. We've been kind of immersed in all of that. And we're wrapping it up this morning um, with another one of Jesus' stories, one of his parables. It's found in Luke chapter 12. And we've said it the last couple of weeks explaining this. Parables were really just stories where Jesus would take something that was very common, very um, everyday, very ordinary, and he would use that to make a deep spiritual point, deep spiritual truth. And um, this is no different than all of his other stories. And it's in Luke chapter 12, if you want to follow along. And we're going to begin reading in verse 13. Um, And it actually begins as he's been teaching, and there's a crowd of people all around, and someone in the crowd Some boisterous, loud person just shouts out, and this is what they said. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me as judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store all my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded of you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Then he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Skip on down verse 29. So do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for pagan, the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions, and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, There, your heart will be also. In essence, Jesus is saying in this story, don't be a fool. (laughs) Don't live life foolishly. That was the verdict. That was the final verdict. For all of your success, for all of your achievement, for all that you accomplish, for all that you amass in this world, don't come to the end of your life like a fool. It's foolish to live that way. So he says, don't live foolishly. 
Live your life in a different way. Live your life wisely. What does a foolish life look, at, look like? Well, that's why he told the story. He said there are certain ways that we go about living that are just dumb. It's just foolish to live this way. And we're going to kind of unpack that a little bit this morning and say, what does a foolish life look like so that we would not live like fools? And one of the first things Jesus says is, it's foolish to live a self-centered life. It's just dumb. It's foolish to live a life that is all about you. Because what happens in selfishness and self-centeredness and self-absorption is it skews your perspective. It, it, it changes things in such a way that you just don't look at life the right way. There's, there's no sense of gratitude. There's no sense of anybody else that matters. And that's the way Jesus tells the story. In fact, the hints that we get are the pronouns that are used in this man's story. He's had this incredible harvest. He's got more than enough. And so he says to himself, and listen to all the pronouns that are used. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Only pronouns. Me, I, mine, my. His whole life is consumed with himself. And that's just a dumb way to live. I earned it. I deserved it. And now it's my time to enjoy it. If he were alive today, come this Thursday, and they had, went to a Thanksgiving meal, I wonder who he would thank. <laughs> thank me. Thank me. I'm so good. I'm so wonderful. I've done so well in my job. It's his whole life, there is no, no mention at all about God. There is no mention at all about anybody who worked for him, who harvested the crops, or who planted that seed. And he didn't do it by himself. Not for that big of a harvest. There's no mention of a family. There's no mention about anybody else. It's all about him. And what's really, really interesting is the words that Jesus used specifically. Because he says, I've done all of this. I'm, I've accomplished this. This is what I'm going to do now with all that I have done. But it's really noticed. I don't know if you noticed it. The way that Jesus worded the story is very incredible. It says, the ground produced the crop. Don't say this man was a successful farmer. This man produced a crop. He said the ground produced the crop. And what he's saying is, you didn't do this by yourself. <laughs> In fact, if you go all the way back into Israel's history, when God led them through Moses out of their slavery in Egypt and into the land that he had promised them, he gave some very, very specific instructions to them. Jesse mentioned a couple of them last week when he was talking about this, that, that farmers were told, do not farm all the way to the edges of your field. Leave some behind for those who are needy. And when you harvest, don't go through and harvest everything and then go back through a second time and make sure to pick up everything that you dropped. Leave it behind for those who are needy. He said, the, way, the reason is because I want you to remember that this is not your land. This is not your harvest. This is something that I have given to you. I am giving this land to you as a nation, not because you're better than any other nation, not because you're a people that are greater than any other people, but simply because I have chosen to do this. That was the history. That was what they were told from before they entered. In fact, they were told this very specifically. He said, now, when you take the land, remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He says, not only am I giving you this land as a gift, but even your ability to farm it and produce a harvest, remember I gave that to you. Your ability to produce your own wealth, all those talents, all those gifts, all that you know, insight that you have, I gave that to you. 
He said, the trouble is when our life becomes so self-centered that we don't think of anyone else or even think of God, it just skews our whole perspective. That's what selfishness does. That's what self-centered living does. It gives us the illusion of being in control. And the truth of the matter is we are not. He had no control over the, the rain that season. He had no control over the sun. He had no control over anything that made that, that crop come up. He had no control over it. And his untimely death was the ultimate example. You think you have saved up for a nice retirement and it's over. <laughs> As of now. His untimely death was a reminder. You're not in control. But we live with this illusion of control. And when we live that way, and when we live with our lives so self-centered and so selfishly, it so distorts our perspective that everybody else is crowded out. And it automatically puts us at odds at other people because we're not in control of them, and they don't behave the way that we want them to, and they don't do the things that we want them to, and that just leads to frustration. And in fact, it's interesting, this whole story comes up because of a family dispute over an inheritance. Someone in the crowds shouts out, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance. It is interesting how a whole family can be divided over stuff. And it happens all the time. You see, that's just a foolish way to live. It's just dumb. It's dumb, dumb, dumb. And not only that, it is completely at odds with what God said is the greatest and most important thing. Just a few weeks earlier, we looked at it. This whole conversation that Jesus has with somebody about what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The most important thing is people. Love people. Love people and use things. But so often we get that turned around. We love things and we will use people to get them. We all agree Theoretically, that people are more important than things. People is more important than stuff. But, but look how we pursue stuff so often and what we're willing to do. Survivor. TV program, Survivor. It's amazing the amount of backstabbing and all kinds of conniving people will do with other people to win a million dollars. We say people are more important, but I'll stab you in the back if it means a million dollars for me, you know? There's, there used to be a program called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I have yet to see a program called, Who Wants to Be a Really Good Friend? <laughs> You'll never see it. Because we say people are more important, but the truth is, the way that we live, things are more important. And we are more than willing to use people because we love things. And he says, that's just a foolish, foolish way to live. And the best antidote to that, the best antidote to that is cultivating a heart of gratitude. Because in gratitude, I realize that all that I have has come to me as a gift. We have one day out of the year we call Thanksgiving. <clears throat> but it really should be a reminder that every day, everything that comes to us, our very next breath comes as a gift from God. But you see, when your life is self-centered and it's all around me, I forget all of that stuff. You forget all that stuff. And Jesus is saying, that's just a dumb way to live. That's foolish. It's foolish. It's foolish to live your life that way. It's also foolish to look for your security in your stuff. Because stuff can't provide the security that we are really looking for. 
That's why Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, again, we don't think of ourselves as greedy. Greedy is what other people are. Greedy is what that 1% is, whoever they are. They're the greedy ones. Just 99 percenters, we're, we're, we're not greedy. Yeah, we are. <laughs> In fact, it's interesting, he gives a double warning. He says, watch out, be on your guard. It's like, first of all, wake up, watch out, pay attention. But then he goes on, he says, now be on your guard, be on your guard. In other words, this takes constant vigilance because greed slips in so subtly that you don't even know it. You won't even recognize it. He says, not only do you need to wake up to the fact that you're greedy, but you've got to monitor that the rest of your life because that tends to be your downfall. That tends to be your default. So you've got to be on guard against it because greed isn't just about hoarding stuff. Greed is a mindset. Greed is a mindset that says more, bigger, better, shinier, newer. That's what I've got to have. In fact, our New Testament is written in the Greek language. And, and the word used for, in Greek for greed is a word called pleon, pleonexia. And exia has to do with having or possessing. But pleon, the first part, has to do with greater, having greater. And it's not just amount, it's greater in quality. It's not only do I have to have more of, but it's, it's even I have to have the newest. I have to have the best. I need the iPhone 5 because my iPhone 4 has... A smaller screen and after all I'm eligible for the upgrade for only $200 so it's my turn that's greed that is a form of greed I came face to face with this this week in my own life I had decided this week to, to change and get direct TV okay so I called I made the appointment the direct TV I had to take a half day off but I thought well, I'll just work from home so I go home, I'm, I'm at home, the DirecTV guy comes to install, he comes, I shows him the, show him the rooms that I want to have the, the, the TV set up in, the little box in, and he comes and he looks at my cable and he says, oh, I can't use this. Wait a minute, you can't use this? It's coaxial cable. I've been using it for years now, okay? It's fine. He goes, no, 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 we can't use this. I said, why can't you use this? It's just, it's, it's cable. He says, no, no. We, the, the amount of power now that we put through the cables, this cable can't handle it. It might set your whole house on fire. I'm a, I am forbidden to do this. I have to run all new cable. Okay, like this is like the third time I've had all new cable run through my house, okay? So he comes and he says, I, I, I said, okay, well, the trouble is this. The cable box is downstairs outside the garage at this end of our house. The bedroom where I want it installed is upstairs at the opposite end of the house. I said, that's an awful lot of cable to run. He says, well, I can't run it. He said, I, I can, maybe I can just throw the cable up over the roof, and then we can bring it down on the other side. I go, no, 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 I'm not having cable hanging over my roof. He said, he said well, we could bring it up, and then we could run it from room to room all around the baseboard. I said, no, 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 I don't want to run it all through the baseboard. He says, well, I can't do it unless you do that. I said, well, um, uh, well what can we do? I said, here, if you go straight up from the cable box, there's a vent into the attic. Why don't we just run it through the attic and then drop it down? He says, well, I can't climb in your attic. What can you do? <laughs> I'm like so frustrated. And I said, well, what, what am I going to do now? I said, you're, I, you know, you're out here. I made the appointment. I took off a half day at work to be here because it's, you know, noon to five, anytime between noon and five. He says, well, I can't climb in your attic. I said, okay, if I climb through the attic, can you feed me the cable? He said, yeah, I can do that. So I climb up in the attic. Now, our attic is not an attic. It's a crawl space. It's called a crawl space because that's how you get through it, Okay. And there's one part in which our, the trusses of our house 
change. And the ones that were nice and big that you could almost stand up in gets down through a little opening that's about yay big. And if I go one shoulder first and then the other shoulder first, then I can get through and I can get there. So I'm pulling cable up through the vent. I'm running through the insulation. I'm stepping on the joist. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm going through the little tiny spot. I get all the way back to the corner of the room and I try to figure out where am I going to drop this down through? Well, I can't figure it out. So I got to climb all the way back out through that little tiny hole, down the stairs, find the bone, drill the hole, come back up, sit the fish wire through, come back up. Look, I can't reach the fish wire. So I got to climb back down, down the stairs, find another hole, drill another hole, feed over, climb up. I did this five times. And I'm sweating, and I'm out of breath, and I am covered in insulation, and I'm with, just itching all over the place. And I come to my senses, and I go, this is foolish. <laughs> this is the fool Jesus has been talking about. <laughs> right here, it's me. This is, but I had to have my direct TV. <laughs> she said, that's just a foolish way to live. <laughs> because you think, you think you're going to be happy. You think that's going to satisfy you. You think when you get all the extra channels and NFL Sunday ticket, then life will be good. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's just a foolish way to live. And it's so subtle that we buy into it all the time. And I'm number one on the list. He says, that's just a foolish way to live. When everything becomes about what you have to have. He says, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. See, there is this myth of more that says, if I just have blank, then I'll be happy. If I could just buy, then I'll be secure. If I could just get, and whatever that blank is for you, there's a myth that we buy into. If I just get one more of those, then my life will be smooth. Then my life will be happy. Then my life will be secure. Then I will have it made. Now, let me ask you, because confession is good for the soul. How many in this room have ever had one of those thoughts kind of go through your mind, whatever it was, that if I just had blank, then I would be happier? Anybody ever had that thought go through your mind? Yeah. Now, let me ask you, how many here by a show of hands would say you have finally arrived at that place? None of us. But we keep telling ourselves the same lie. We keep believing it's true, even though we always get to that point and it's not enough. Because it'll never satisfy. And Jesus says, listen, if you don't wake up to that fact, you're just living a fool's life. Because your life is going to be constantly pursuing something you will never achieve. And that's just dumb. And the question will come to each and every one of us at the end of our life. Who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And the answer to that question is always the same. Somebody else. Somebody else is going to get it. All that you earned, all that you achieved, all that you have saved up, all that great retirement you thought you were going to enjoy, somewhere along the line, you're going to be asked the question, who's going to get it? Because it ain't going to be you. It's going to be somebody else. And it's foolish to think 
differently. Reminds me of a bumper sticker I once saw. It says, the one who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> it's pretty wise. But we keep buying into the myth of more. The best antidote to that kind of foolishness is generosity. That's why Jesus says, your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Now, he doesn't say go bankrupt. But he's saying you've got more than enough. Sell and give. I was talking to somebody not too long ago. They were telling me, um, works for goodwill. So their donations at goodwill and Salvation Army both are very, very down right now. In the middle of this whole economy. Because people are now having garage sales and keeping the money for themselves instead of donating goods for goodwill or for Salvation Army. That's a foolish way to live. He said, if you've got that much that you're going to spend a whole Saturday morning with your garage door open, you got too much. And rather than just getting it for money for yourself, sell it. Give to the poor. Give to someone who really does need. That's the wise way to live. It's foolish to think that getting more stuff is going to to make your life more successful, make your life more gratifying, make your life more secure. And it's foolish to plan your future without considering eternity. See, there's nothing wrong with the fact that this man saved for retirement. He's a good businessman. He's a prudent planner. Yeah, you can't work the fields all of your life, so yeah, you need to have some stored up. That's all good. That's not the problem. The problem was not that he planned for his future. The problem was he was too short-sighted because he thought his future was just a comfortable retirement. But his future was far beyond that. And Jesus said, that's what's foolish, that you make all these preparations for the rest of your life on this earth, but you forget that there's a whole life beyond this. And that's just dumb. He thought comfortable retirement was his future. And God said to him, no, you're not going to get that future. I got another one for you. He said, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. You're ready. You're set for life. Only life is just for another couple hours. And he didn't know that. And he didn't plan for that. He never gave serious thought to his eternity. He thought this life was all that there is. And Jesus says, that's what a foolish life looks like. That's just dumb. And Jesus goes on, he says, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be rich toward God? If it's foolish to store up for this life, but not be rich towards God, then what's the wise thing to do? How do I become rich toward God? And I think one of the first things to do is be able to differentiate between what is temporary and what is eternal. And this was so helpful to me, and I, and I saw it illustrated this way. And you might want to do this. Go home and get a little sticky pad. And write on it, temporary. That's temporary.
music stand. Temporary. Sorry, Jesse. <laughs> Temporary. one hurts. <laughs> Could walk all around this room and put temporary stickers all over the place. Because stuff is just temporary. It's just temporary. Hale, would you come up? Eternal. <laughs> Colleen? Stay up here. Because you're both eternal. Hey. We can walk around this room, put a sticker on each and every one of you. Because people are eternal. Stuff. Temporary. Thank you. We spend so much of our life pursuing the temporary. At the expense, I think, so often of what's eternal. Miroslav Volf wrote about the difference between richness of having and richness of being. And we get them confused. And we pursue richness of having, thinking that is giving us richness of being, but it doesn't. And John Ortberg wrote about that in his book, which I love the title, When the Game is Over, It All Goes Back in the Box. And he writes these words. We seek richness of having but what we really want is richness of being. We want to be grateful, joyful, content, free from anxiety and generous. We scramble after richness of having because we think it will produce richness of being, but it does not. The bottomless pit of our desire will never be satisfied. No matter how much we have, we will remain what Wolf calls not enough people. For not enough people, there exists no lasting soul satisfaction. On the other hand, we can have very little and yet be rich. A rich soul experiences life differently. It experiences a sense of gratitude for what it has received rather than resentment for what it hasn't gotten. It faces future with hope rather than anxiety. Richness of being is always available. I can seek it with any time with God's help to be compassionate, generous, grateful, and joyful. And stuff can aid me in this. But usually... It will not mean seeking to accumulate more stuff. Richness of having 
usually means getting more stuff. Richness of being is generally associated with giving more stuff. Jesus' goal of richness toward God always involves richness of being. You can be rich toward God when you take the resources that he has given to you and you use them to invest in people, to invest in his kingdom work in this world, to give to those who are needy, to help those who are in pain. When you take the resources of what you have and you give them in such a way that it enriches somebody else's life, it touches somebody else's life, it ministers to somebody else's life, that is richness of being. And we know this. We know this because our example is God who gave his very, very best, his one and only son. And his son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and gave everything, everything, his very life, so that we could have life, life eternal. Because he gave. It comes to us as a gift. And the response of his kingdom people those who have been recipients, the purest expression of gratitude that I can think of is to be generous. Because it's one thing to sit around our Thanksgiving tables stuffed to the gills with turkey and say, boy, I'm grateful. And it's another thing to take some of that or what you would have spent on some of that and help somebody else. And it's something that we are learning as a church and we need to learn all the time because our default is, that's why Jesus kept saying, he said, wake up, be diligent. Wake up, but stay on your guard because the other way of living slips in so easy and it's just really foolish. So here is your change the way people view the church assignment this week. In your gratitude this Thanksgiving season, Show your gratitude. Show your gratitude by an act of generosity. Somewhere, somehow. Find a way to take what you are truly grateful for. Give some of that to somebody else. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.